talk with Rick and Paul, and today we are going out to eat. A little early for that, Rick, unless you mean we're just kind of out to lunch. Well, we're always out to lunch, but uh, yes, uh, people will notice the similarities, by the way, between us being <laughs> out to lunch and the show. This is about eating and drinking wine in restaurants. Okay. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and since we get questions on this all the time, today we're going to guide you through everything you need to know. Everything. Everything. Yep. About wine in restaurants, from corkage to wine lists to bringing a bottle to just dealing with the ritual. We even have a history moment on the history of restaurants. Plus, as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs. Stay with us. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Ricky and Paul, and today we're going to try to be helpful. <laughs> That'll be a change. Yes, it will. <laughs> hope it doesn't scare anyone off. Well, I think we've, uh, <laughs> we've already got done a shot that. at yes. it. Yeah. We pretty much do that every day. So, but many, many of the questions we get involves wine in restaurants, mm-hmm. and we've been answering them as they come in. I think we've been doing that rather well. I thought with precision and grace myself. Exactly. With balance. Balance, absolutely. But all right, back to reality. Uh, <laughs> restaurants and wine. We do get a lot of questions, and so we thought we'd sort of deal with it. Here's our first tip. Really, about what we're about to launch into, just simply don't sweat it. Yeah. It's supposed to be fun. It's this thing of, uh, of, of, I don't know, nervousness around people, but just think of it as part of the meal, just like you know, as much as part of the meal is the chicken. If you like chicken. Yes. If you yeah. don't get chicken, it's a different part of the it's meal. It's a different part of the meal. Yes. But it is the, the thing, the rule I always say is people should remember the restaurant staff is there to help you have a good time. Yes. If they're not helping you to have a good time, tell them what they need to do to help you have a good time. And that's pretty much it. Right, so, so thanks for listening. Yeah. So let's start with even before you get to the restaurant. about bring, the notion of bringing a wine? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me how to choose a restaurant or what table we want to sit in. Well, I always I always try to sit right in the middle so I can see everyone. But uh, <laughs> no, it, the, this idea of bringing wine, and if you're not somebody who brings wine, um, hang in there because Paul and I are about to disagree and a good fight's always fun. Um, <laughs> but, but if you are somebody who thinks about bringing a wine to dinner to a restaurant, what guidelines, Paul? First basic rule is don't bring something that they currently serve on the list. That's considered really bad form. My basic rule is unless you have something really special, just order wines off the list. Now, having said that, last night I went out to dinner with my daughter um, and a boyfriend and my wife. And the boyfriend was my daughter's, not my wife's or mine. Just just making sure all the not my ex right. Um, But I brought two bottles of wine because I had two really beautiful old bottles of Burgundy from 15 years ago, and the restaurant certainly had nothing like that on the list, and they were very nice about it. Yeah. Well, now I would argue with you. There's a shocker. Yeah. Here's my thought. I I think that that all of that is actually a nice thing. And I wouldn't disagree with that being uh, a good intention, but you know. You don't. It's not your job to make them feel good. And I, I keep reading these stories about Psalms being insulted because somebody brought in an inexpensive wine. You know, if you don't know the rules, you don't know the rules. If you don't know what the, the, the law of the sommelier or restaurant world is, which is that don't bring something off. How do you, you know? I mean, if, you, if you're trying to get along with them, that's great. But really, just if you want to bring a bottle of wine, eh, don't sweat it. Bring what you want. Well, bring what you want, but... It seems to me that a restaurant which has 
gone to a fair amount of trouble to pick wines that they think go well with the food and all the rest. And then you show up with something that you got in the corner store 12 minutes ago because you were just swinging by the rest by the store on the way to the restaurant and you thought, I can buy a $7 bottle of wine and escape and not pay very much. That's, to me, that is that what that's really telling the restaurant is we don't necessarily respect your taste and we don't necessarily think this is a great restaurant. We're just going to hear, we're just going to do it. Eh, I, I don't, don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not sold. I don't it. disagree with that. And, and I know I've heard you know lots of people say you wouldn't bring your own tomatoes to the restaurant. Although there are some places you can fishermen bring, you can bring been, something you caught right? right. But the point being was that you know so why would you do that with, with wine? And all I'm saying is uh, because we think of wine, wine is too different. It's expensive. It's scary. It's all these other things. And and I don't want to have to throw another rule at somebody who doesn't know what the, that they're supposed to know this as a rule. So that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, that's what We're you're saying. Right. That's what you're saying. So what, what this brings up is the next. So you, you can choose the side that you choose. You can choose. Um, you can choose Rick's side can, or you can be right. I, or you can choose the good looking guy's side, which would be mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this does bring up this, the next issue about bringing a wine, which is corkage. You're going to pay works. for it. Yes, you are going right. to pay for it. And that is totally fair. I do not have a problem with corkage. We should explain, you know, that is something that people often get upset about. And this is where I would defend the restaurant because this is part of their budgeting. And it is, I mean, some of it is, it's one of those cases of it is what it is, you know, that this is how restaurants have run forever. Well, they have a lot of expenses. It's also they're providing service. They're doing work. You know, people say, why should I pay them 10, 15, 20 bucks to pull a cork out of a bottle of wine? It could even be a screw cap, so they're not even. But the answer is, they got to provide the glasses, they got to provide the staff to pour it, they have to do all of that. All of that stuff costs money. Yeah. Yep. They should be paid for it. Yeah, and and if we've... you want to drink the bottle and you don't want the glasses and you don't want to sit in the restaurant, take the bottle to the beach, drink straight out of the bottle. You don't have to pay corkage. But that's not drinking that wine at a good restaurant. Can, can I use a plastic cup? <laughs> if you want to, you can. <laughs> well, and I think another thing actually to understand, too, is that, you know, the restaurant business is a tough business. The margin is very low. And actually, the more expensive the restaurant, the lower the profit margin is on food to the point where if you're a pretty expensive place, it's really 1% to 2%. Yeah, and yeah. Restaurants have always, as they build their budgets, as they have for a very long time, that they make it up on things like alcohol sales and whether mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. beer or spirits or wine, and it's just it's just written in. It just mm-hmm. you know it's, it's you want your restaurant to stay in business. So that's where I say, if you're going to bring your wine, even if it's that seven dollar bottle at down at the corner, expect to pay a corkage, and you can always find out what that corkage is ahead of time by giving them a call. They and will saying, tell you what's your corkage. Yep. Yeah. So don't don't let that thing uh, don't. Let, and but if you do have whether it's a special bottle or just the cheap one that Rick's bringing to the beach, um, don't don't <laughs> let that scare you. Okay, now let's talk about sort of the run-through of a, a restaurant business. And for most folks, most of this will probably be easy. For a few folks, it might be difficult. So we're just going to talk about what to think about as you go. Okay. Right? You so get- the first thing that happens is everybody gets a menu, and then usually either the wine list gets left in the middle of the table or it gets presented to the person that the— it looks like the biggest wallet. That's right. The server <laughs> thinks chances are this is a person who's paying for it's, it. Yeah. Now, my suggestion is, if you want, ask for another list. Oh, my suggestion was to hand the list to somebody else, well, which I will use, then imply yes. that the other person is paying yeah, for dinner. Yeah, always my And I hope. think you're off yes. to a good start that yeah, way. Yeah. But, <clears throat> but it is always sort of one of the, and I And I've actually, uh, when depending on the kind of restaurant, but is one of the trainings when I occasionally train restaurant staff, 
Um, we talked about that. I said, look, if you've got a table where it looks like more than one person is interested, you can say, would anybody else like a wine list too? Right. What a great right. thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not like you, you don't just give them one menu and have one person go, uh, she'll have the chicken, he's having the roast beef, <laughs> you know? So right. why, why do you – Right. Well, now, of course, wine is only one bottle generally for a table, but – Well, but so, frequently, even when it's just my wife and me having dinner – they will, for example, give me the list, and then I will turn to my wife and I say, you know, we probably won't drink a bottle. I'll get a glass of something. What would you like? And hand her the list. So, we're, you know, we're still both looking at the list. Yeah. Well, and that brings up the next issue, too, is wine by the glass. Now, you and I both are big fans of that notion. You know, one of the things— Yes, it's much better than wines by the bucket. Well, that's usually how I end up drinking it, but I, <laughs> I just get them one glass at a time and fill up the <laughs> fill bucket. Fill up the bucket. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the there's this— the one of the things that tends to happen. Uh, I mean, you go to a restaurant. We go out to eat and drink. Yeah, and right. depending on who's driving and whether you've got a cab or whatever, you know. But you know, sometimes you go and you want to drink. And if but you're waiting. We're going to talk about this a little bit. You're waiting to order that wine, maybe to see what people are going to eat and yes. that sort of thing. Nothing wrong with starting with a glass. In my case, in our case, in our, around my household, often it's a glass of sparkling, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a, gl- a glass of wine. But it also kind of slows the process down so you don't feel like you've got to come up with something right away. My wife and I take a very different philosophy because whereas if we were younger like you, Rick, um, we probably, when we were younger— Don't we forget prob- to mention attractive. <laughs> I was, that, had, <laughs> that hadn't entered my mind. Um, we, I think we probably drank more, and we don't drink as much as we do. And the idea of drinking a glass of wine before we got any food in our stomach and then getting more wine with dinner is probably more than we want to drink. So my standard response when they say, would you like to order something to start out is, I think we're going to figure out what we want to eat and then order wines to go with what we're going to eat. So I don't feel pressured to order anything, and they're okay with that. Bear in mind that, Rick, you have been training servers in those restaurants um, for generations now to come (laughs) and get people to drink that first drink because it gets them to relax, it gets them to have fun, blah, 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 blah. Well, and, you know, truth be told, uh, here's a little secret also helps them sell more wine. Of course it does. faster you serve it, it the faster they drink it. And so, you know, we've been around the block, and no, we don't want to order wine until we know exactly what we're eating, and then we'll order wine and food, and we'll order the whole thing together, and it's okay to do it that way. You don't have to order a bottle of wine before the food gets there. Under any circumstances, I think it's a really important thing to remember that despite me telling them to sell you something— that you should never feel like you're on the clock when you're ordering wine. You right. don't have to be in a hurry. Take right. your time. Don't feel rushed. Don't feel like you're pressed to make decisions. If you have questions about something, feel free to ask. If you're not yep. sure yet, yep. feel free to tell them. And I think that's a big thing is just sort of relax around it. Now you've relaxed. You might have a glass of bubbly. You might not. You might just be sitting there. Um, you're still looking at the list. And you're still looking at the list. So what are the kinds of things that you would suggest that if somebody – and we'll take this at two levels. Um, somebody who's a little uh, a little confused by the list, and then somebody who actually knows food and wine a little bit more. Let's start with that first case. What would you have them think about? Well, um, it gets back to the the food and wine combinations. You know, a lot of people order a first dish and a second dish, and I often look at that as an opportunity for two different kinds of wine. So you start with your first dish. Often that's lighter. 
maybe a little ceviche, maybe a little salad, maybe something like that. That's often better with a white wine. So there you might order, if it's just the two of you, a half bottle of something or a glass of something. And then if you're having steak and spaghetti for the second course, there's not a wine that's going to go with ceviche, salad, steak, and spaghetti bolognese. There's not one wine that'll do that. So you already are thinking of, okay, I'm going to have multiple choices here. Then you start thinking, okay, is there something I could get for the first course? Is there something I could get for the second course? Talk it over amongst the other guests. What do you like? I mean, that's one of the questions that people often say, oh, you're a wine expert. You order the wine. I think, wait a minute. I'm an expert about what I like. I'm not an expert on what you like. Right. So to help me here, what kind of, what are you having for dinner? You're having lamb. Okay, that's good. Now, what kind of wines do you like? Let me see if I can get something that'll work for you. Yeah, that's always a good thing, too, is unless you want to be the authoritative wine person, uh, is to ask, is to talk about it, have that conversation. And for a couple of reasons why, too, I think it kind of makes it more fun when, if you, if you end up getting a bottle. Yes. Now you're all a little bit invested in it to see whether it's going to go well. Right. And and that's part of the fun. And if you and in my case, because I do know the story of some of the wines, a lot of times people say, well, what do you recommend? And I'll pick something. I'll say, let's see. And then I tell them a little story about the wine. Now, now it's fun. Now, whether they like the flavor or not, they'll still have this sort of other, ex- excuse me, experience about the wine of the, the story and all the rest. I just tell him, you know, I met that guy. He's a jerk. Don't get his wine. No, it's not true. Actually, there aren't many. <laughs> That's, yeah. um, you know, one of the one of the, another suggestion too. If you if you have a group of four, for example, or larger, yes. and you're thinking about a couple of wines, you're probably going to go through more than one bottle in an evening. Right. Get both of them up front. Mm-hmm, and now mm-hmm. people have wines to choose among. Yep. Well, uh, the other night at dinner, my daughter, who is vegetarian, had a, uh, let's see, it was ceviche for the first course and then scallops for the second course. Well, the rest of us were having something that would be good with red wine as the second course. So uh, we did drink the red wine. But my daughter, when the waiter came by and started filling everybody's glasses up with the white wine before he poured the red wine, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Save the white wine for her because she's going to be having scallops for the second course. Give that to her, and we'll start on the red wine. So that actually brings up one of the suggestions that I make, um, which is that if you can uh, tell your waiter, you know what, we'll handle the wine. We'll pour. <laughs> you know, Because what they're trying to do is, is well, they're doing trying to do two things. One, they're trying to offer you good service and be on yes. top of things. They're also trying to pour the, that bottle for, empty as soon as possible. Exactly right. And you know, But sometimes somebody wants more of one and somebody wants less of the other, and and I, I think it's more fun to pour for yourself anyway. And they will do this almost surreptitiously. I mean, their, their job is to be somewhat um, unnoticeable. But you can have a conversation going around, and they'll just walk around and top up all the glasses till they're full mm-hmm. and then point out that the bottle's empty. And one of the things I frequently do, even if I'm in the middle of telling a long, complicated story to bore the rest of the I've guests— I've never heard you do that, Paul. I will just hold my hand out over the glass and say, no, I'm thanks very much, yeah. but I, I, I don't need yeah. any more of that wine. I want to move on to the next wine. Yeah, it is, but but it is an easy thing to say. Say, you know what? Uh, don't don't worry about it. We'll just you, yeah. you, got, you got you can say it on my. So you got you got enough to do. We'll we'll pour the wine for each other. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the ritual. The ritual. Uh, you've ordered that bottle of wine. I have. Um, the wine shows up. The seven dollar bottle from the supermarket yes, or the, the uh, no. This is from the, the this is from restaurant. the list. Okay. And okay. Where there will never be a seven dollar bottle because it just won't happen. <clears throat> no, that's right. We're going right. to talk a little bit about that later. We won't even get a seven dollar glass these no. days. No. Um, all right. Server shows you the bottle. Yes. 
first bit of advice, my friend. Make sure it's the right color. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've told that story here before. <laughs> yes, but Rick is reminding me that at one point I nodded very calmly to the waiter because I was in the middle of a long story and boring my guests. And my wife pointed out that, in fact, what we had ordered was a white wine and what they had brought to the table was a red wine from the same winery. <laughs> so, so, yeah. yeah you actually, do want to check the color of the wine yeah. right off the bat. It, it does feel like of all, almost of all the things, you know, <laughs> you want to make sure it is the wine that you ordered. You know, and one of the things I always sort of say, too, is also if it matters to you, if you happen to know, sometimes you want to look at the vintage. Um, you know, it, it it can matter because at times, sometimes a restaurant may be trying to get rid of their older stuff. So now, they may be reaching back. Yeah, and, and sometimes it may just be a mistake. And there may be reasons that you're interested that really don't have anything to do with wine quality. Mm-hmm. But there may be a winery that makes a winery, uh, a wine where the vineyard is named something that has some particular meaning to someone in the crowd and they bring you the bottle and it's the same winery and it's the same varietal but it's a different vineyard and the reason you ordered the wine was because you wanted that person to see their name on the list. It's not, I mean, it doesn't have to be right. that, you know, 2012 was a much better year than 2011. <laughs> it doesn't right. have to be that complicated. Just say, well, if yeah. that's why you ordered the wine, you want to make sure that's the one you got. Right. So of the things that you do do, actually look at the label. I know we right. tend to all not, but then that's how that happens. So the next thing comes and they pop that cork in front of you. Yes. That one. You don't need yes. to really pay much attention. No, they peel the capsule off, and then they put the cork, and and what they should do is put the cork on the table, and that's where you should leave the cork. Yes. Or unless you want to put some salt and pepper on it. Because um, there's nothing you're going to get from the cork that you uh, won't get from the, from the wine. wine. It, that's a ritual that goes back uh, to the 1700s, actually, when uh, when wine started showing up in, and restaurants started showing up, and wine started showing up in bottles. And what right. a restaurant would do is, you know, they would have a bottle of a good wine, but they'd also have a big cask of their house wine sitting in the back. And after they sold that good wine, they would go back and fill it up with the cask and, and recork it. So what the the chateaus in France and the wineries around Europe started figuring out to do is to write their name on the cork right. to prove it. So you're right. showing that this is... That's less of an issue now. Yeah, and it's much easier to fake that now. <laughs> and you can anyways. fake it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so who cares? there's no point. Yeah, All but right. there's there's really no unless you are actually engaged in the cork industry, don't pick up. Yeah, the cork. Ex- Just and leave if you want to examine, ooh, I see, this is a high quality cork. That's right. Um, however, you are going to taste the wine. Yes. And you're tasting wine for. Well, one of the things that the server will ask is. Who's tasting or for whom shall I pour a little taste of this Mm -hmm. wine? Because sometimes the person who's ordering the wine will taste it and sometimes somebody else will. Frequently when I'm out to dinner with a group of people, sometimes a master of wine, a winemaker, a master sommelier, me, and they say, and of course there's a general shuffling around of, oh, here, you after you, Alphonse. But when I'm out with a group of my 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 wife's family, for example, I'm going to taste the wine because I'm the guy who knows how to taste the wine. So there's part of that too. And what you're tasting for is not, gee, is it yummy? But is there something wrong with it? With one exception, they they suggest they brought they suggested this you wine say, for you. Yeah. I want a wine that tastes just like Rombauer Chardonnay, and the guy says, I have just a thing for it. And you brings you a glass and you taste it, and you say, you know what? Not close. You know, you're going to have to come closer or I want something else. Right. In any other case, what you're tasting for are really obvious flaws. And and I would argue now, I used to think, I used to teach there were two. I'm now going to say there are three. Because one of them is that moldy smell you get from a bad cork. Mm -hmm. About one in every hundred bottles has it. Second thing is oxidation, where the color is browner and the fruit 
smells flat and faded and tired, and basically the wine's too old. Yeah, and, you, and you know that smell. It just has that sort of yeah. old, old, old wine smell. And the third one is the wine smells delicious. You put it in your mouth, and it's the completely wrong temperature. It's either too warm. In most cases, it's too warm as a red wine. And then you say, you know, the wine is fine, but it's too warm. Yes, which is common because remember common. when they talk, we talk about wine room temperature. We're not talking about restaurant room temperature. We're talking about chateau room temperature. Te- temperature of this studio, yes, which is yes. freezing today. Minus ten degrees. Yes, that's what it is. Um, keep your <laughs> yeah. wine at minus ten degrees. That's right. Um, just ship your wine to our studio. We'd be happy to keep <laughs> yes. it here for you. But if if that's too slow, you can just have them put it in a bucket of ice. Yeah, and they will do. They will offer to do that right away. And and it's particularly helpful that you do this before everybody gets a glass because once it's in the glass it never gets colder it only gets warmer yes so have them chill it down say let's wait five minutes and chill the wine down. yeah on the other hand for the white unless it's uh, like a sparkling you really don't want an ice bucket for your white because the white's actually going to expand in flavor as, as well, the, it's if it's coming, too cold out of the refrigerator if right. you if it's cold coming out yeah. right yes which right. is which is often the case all right we will yep. have a little bit more on restaurants and yeah, wine cause, pricing because we haven't even got to drinking yet no, we'll talk about drinking wine. Okay. You know, I, I understand that's a fun thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we're going to first take a question or two. Uh, this is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Next up, some questions. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to take a question or two from listeners. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And uh, as a reminder, uh, you can find us on iTunes and subscribe for free with one little itty-bitty click. If you're new to us and you want to know what it is we are doing talking about restaurants, well... Uh, we have both been to restaurants. We have been to many restaurants. and We've even not been thrown out of a few of them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and Paul has managed uh, in those restaurants he has not been thrown out of to establish himself as a respected industry pro. He answers questions on allexperts.com, among other places. He teaches at Napa Valley College, a... Uh, Culinary Institute of America and restaurants around the world. Well, not really, but sometimes. A few. He does. A few, mm-hmm. and not always for bad things. Yeah, that's true. Right. And Rick, best-selling New York Times author. And it was about wine. He was. It was It was all about the, the, the Barefoot Boys and their, their Teaks of Chan. Was that it? No, maybe yes. not. Yes. Okay. Uh, um, the unique marketing and selling of, of uh, yes. yeah. all right. And well, Capital Public Radio, uh, wine commentator, and consults with restaurants, wine judge. He, he, he knows everything. Well, I know we have some questions waiting for us. <laughs> Let's start with that. Our first comes from uh, Katie Madden, who's one of our regular listeners in Fresno, part of our Fresno enclave, as we've called it. Absolutely. Um, and as a reminder, if you can, you can uh, become one of our regular listeners by just asking us more than one questions, or you, if you'd rather you keep the distance, an, you, they could create an enclave somewhere other than Fresno. That's true. Uh, that's true. And if, but if you'd rather keep your credibility, you can just ask them anonymously. We will still <laughs> answer them. So Katie's question was, what are those ice crystal-looking things on some corks? Excellent question. Very, very common question. Frequently, people who see these on wines write the winery and say, there's broken glass in my bottle. Mm. Now what do I do? Mm. So a couple of quick, easy things that you can do with these. First of all, knock a couple crystals down onto a plate. Roll them underneath your thumbnail. They will crush because they are not glass. They are, in fact, tartaric acid crystals, tartrate crystals. It's where we get cream, cream of tartar. tartar. Right. They're harmless. Yes. 
and they are they originate in the wine. The tartaric acid is actually in suspension in the liquid. Am I getting too chemical here? Uh, suspension. Wait a minute. Uh, that means they got in trouble There's, and they have to no, sit no, in the classroom. No, they have not. They've not been. They don't have to do. Uh, they, they're they're just floating in the wine. When the wine chills, that changes the chemical relationship in the wine, and they tend to precipitate out. A little bit like raindrops falling from the sky, these crystals fall from the wine. They're completely harmless. They're actually an indication that the winery has treated the wine rather gently. And yeah, because in some cases the wine they're removed ahead of time. Some cases they, right. it's called cold stabilized. Yeah. but don't you, worry about you that. You chill the wine and filter it to get rid yep. of them, but. Yes. They don't mean anything other than drink the wine. They're kind of cool looking, actually. They're kind of cool looking. All right. We have a whole bunch of questions more to go. We will take some up as soon as we come back for the second half of the show. Stay with us. Listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We are taking questions from our listeners. If you want to be one of those people who gives us a question, you can just go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Our next is from Natalie in San Francisco. We've been talking in restaurants, so I saved up a restaurant or two question. Hers is some of the, she's in San Francisco. Some of the restaurants here seem to want to out obscure each other. Ah, uh, yes. It's like they're making wine lists to show people down the street that they are the coolest. What do you do when you don't know anything about anything on the list? Well, before we get to that, I need to do this because, you know, I am a big fan of those folks at the Cornell's uh, School of, of Hospitality Administration. Yes, yes. Internationally renowned. And, and they did a study on wine lists. Yes. And um, they listed four things that have been demonstrated to increase restaurant wine sales. Let and, me guess what one of them is. Um, one of the, I think this was number one was listing wine brands with a well-known reputation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, for the up-and-coming sommelier who wants to make a real name for him or herself, there's no way they can star in their own movie right. if they put all the famous names on the list. So they've got to come up with a bunch of stuff that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, what he needs to say is, you know, Cornell said I could increase my wine sales by as much as forty percent, but I'm not going to do it so I can be cool. That's right. And and the irony is then you end up with a scenario in which Natalie comes in and says, you know, the wine I really like to drink at home is, let's say, Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. Right. And right. the sommelier right. takes a look at his list and says, this unusual wine from 9,000 feet in the Andes between Peru and Bolivia is something that tastes just like Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. <laughs> right. And I can't help thinking, isn't it easier just to sell them the Kendall Jackson right. Chardonnay? Right. And you can still have plenty of obscure wines sure. on your list, which is part of the sure. fun. When somebody like you or I come in, I'm, all, I'm all sort of looking for something I, ha I don't recognize. Always happy to experiment, but why make your customers feel that uncomfortable? It is. I had a conversation recently about this with a guy who is a, an extremely well-known master sommelier and teaches young, 
intermediate, advanced, and master's candidates how to handle situations like this. His opinion is every restaurant in America should have a bottle of white Zinfandel. They don't have to have it on the list, but they should have it so that when somebody comes in and says, you know what I really like to drink with my dinner? White Zinfandel. The sommelier, instead of saying, well, we don't have that, but let me see if I can find you something that tastes just like that, can say, Madam, you're in luck. I have a bottle just for you. Bring it out. Who's happier? Right. You know, and, and there's there's no excuse. The restaurant should not be at war with their customers. Right. It, Nor yeah. should the restaurant be in a position of saying that its customers are students and need to right. pay attention right. in order to learn right. to this if, evening. If only we educate you, then you can enjoy what we have to offer you, both our food and the wine. You know, and that's, and right. that's just silly. So, so, Natalie, you know, what do you do? Uh, I think, you know, well— I'm going to go back to my constant advice on wine, which is if you find wines you like, take a picture on your cell phone. If there's wines you don't like, take a picture on your cell phone. So you you summon this snooty little uh, sommelier, whether it's a boy or girl, over there, and you say, excuse me, little, uh, young snooty sommelier, <laughs> I really like this wine. What do you have that's like it? Because none of the things that you have on there are anything that I recognize, and I probably wouldn't have come here if I'd known that's how you put your list together, so why don't you help me out here, snooty So you know sommelier. how they're called psalms amongst the younger generation? Yes, they're they psalms. They're yes. not sommeliers. They're psalms. Yes. We could create the young snobby psalm, and we could pronounce it yoss. <laughs> and then we could create our own term for these folks, the yosses. Although, and before we uh, we leave this question, we also need to say that, and as Paul and I often do, we have great respect for the working sommeliers out there in the world. Uh, it's this, just as we do with many of the difficult, the, the difficult job that many wine writers have to put up with, even if we make fun of them, we are making fun of the, this person that Natalie didn't like because yes. that yeah. is that is not a good thing. Yeah. All right. So, uh, but seriously, that is your answer. Is if you have, if you know some kind of wine that you do like or something you're interested, here's say, what, what I do you like have to like drink. That? What do you have like this? And when they tell you that the other thing is just like it, then look them straight in the eye and say, "Huh, funny that you wouldn't just have the one I like on the list." Yeah. The other thing you can do too, if you have a little bit of time, is say, "You know, I don't know any of your wines. Could you explain them all to me?" <laughs> <laughs> Or do you have a corkage policy because there's a grocery store around the corner? I'm going to go get something. (laughs) Okay. Our next one uh, is from Jerome Park in Long Beach. And Jerome says, I have a friend who says, ignore the big name wines. (laughs) It's sort of almost the opposite, right? Right. I have a friend who says, ignore the big name wines on a wine menu because they're just there to impress us. And there's usually better wine. My friend's kind of a knucklehead, so I don't know whether to believe him. Well, I'm not sure what he means by the big-name wines. Does he mean the most expensive wines on the list? I'm going to guess that's yes. Or does he mean the really very well-known wines? In fact, the wines that Natalie would like to see on the list. Right. Might just be the well-known wines. Right? The well-known wines. Right. And, and, there are, and, and, of course, the answer to both of those questions is, eh. I think that's the definitive answer to Jerome's question is, eh. Well, because... The great wines in the world, if, if Chateau Lafitte Rothschild is on the list, um, ignore it because there are better wines. That's not very yeah. good advice. Now, yeah. admittedly, if you're in the you have the kind of money that you can order Chateau Lafitte Rothschild on the wine list, you wouldn't be listening to our radio show. Um, Although, if you'd like to sponsor us, we are you can <laughs> we rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. you want. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and you know, and and really, right. And Paul's right. The simple, the simplest answer is there's wines are you know even the obscure list that wines the the Psalms and the Westeron put the wine on the list for a reason. 
they're, they're there to fit a, a niche. So let me let me turn this around because I believe there are in the in the classic old simplistic way of looking at life. There are two kinds of people in this world. You go to a restaurant, Rick. You order the salad niçoise with the grilled tuna on top. It's fabulous. You're there two weeks later. You look at the menu. Do you, you say? The, you, I know where, I know where you're going. You know where I'm going. Yeah, do you yeah. say, I love the salad niçoise. I'm just going to have that over and over and over again. Or do you say to the waiter, I love the salad niçoise. What else should I try? And that's exactly what Jerome and his friend are doing. Yeah. Jerome goes in there saying, I've had the, you know, the Villa Trascua Chianti Classico in this restaurant six straight times. I love it. I'm going to order it again. Or the Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. I have this wine. I drink this wine all the time at home. I'm having it here because I know I'm going to love it. And Jerome's friend is saying, are you kidding me? I'm out to have a good time. I'm out to experiment. Go ahead. Show me something new. And both answers are right, are by correct. the way. You know, and it is, you're, you're absolutely right, Paul. In fact, it's one of the difficulties. Wait, I want to get that again. I didn't yeah, hear that. Yeah, you're right. Paul's right. <laughs> Fine. Oh, it feels uh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in fact, it is one of the difficulties for restaurants um, and is, you know, that in, in like in my business in dealing with restaurants is that they'll always tell me that, they have dishes on their menu they would like to remove. They would like but they're to move too popular. on. They'd like to move on, but right. That's and, and right. They, you know, and they just want to rotate through whether it's seasonal or think for some of other rock reason. and roll bands. Yeah. Think of how many times Mick Jagger had sung Satisfaction. Well, I don't think he's trying to move on anymore. I think he's trying to hang on. It's a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, but it is the same thing. I mean, you know, the yeah. rock band that has yep. the two or three big hits, and no matter what they're playing today, they people still want to hear those great hits from 20 years ago. Right. And there are days. Let's you know, we all know there are days that even before you've headed out the door, you know exactly what you want to eat. Right. And there are days when you're saying, "Surprise me." There and, are days when you want comfort food right. and there are days that when you want to have a, a wild adventure. Yeah, but what they are not is they're not just there to be ignored if you like them. So your friend is kind of a knucklehead, Jerome. That's really what it comes down to. That is it for, <laughs> that is it for questions. Uh, we will have a few more questions before we are done with the show. If you'd like to ask us a question or sponsor, <laughs> yes. go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine, and you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Anyone who's been to this show before knows that those happy sounds are <laughs> means and is a rather unhappy thing in a way. It's the really horrible wine writing time. Paul, what really horrible wine writing do you have today? Well, is it just is it just continuing? Uh, I'm making yeah, a joke work, on your yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and you it's didn't a bad do joke. it. Bad joke. Yeah. yeah, but the answer is yeah. The the way and there are some quite famous wine writers who use the word persistent. Now, persistent always sounds to me like about a nine-year-old kid next door with a trumpet. <laughs> you know, you really wish he'd put it away. But that's, I used to be that kid. That's not actually what, what these writers actually mean is that the wine has a long, luxurious, a long, elegant finish. What they mean is the, the flavors stay in your mouth a long time. Persistent actually sounds like the wine is being a little unpleasant about the like whole it situation. Won't go away. Like it won't go it's away. Like it's it's going, hey, hey, look at me, look at me. It doesn't, it's just not attractive to me. I wish we could, I, long finish, please. Yeah, not, yeah. not persistent. Yeah. Unless you are that nine-year-old boy in the trumpet, in which case I'm going to invest in some water balloons. Yeah, there you go. Mine is a blogger guy. 
uh, he sends out emails and goes on press trips, and he's all over the place. And I've actually been on a press trip with him, and he's a, a rather nice guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But his t- and I'm not going to name him. Um, but his tasting notes may well be written in Martian. Oh, and great. it is. This is the kind. Is of that where thing. most of his readers live? I, it, it's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's what he does. He's. This is the, exactly the opposite of what somebody ought to do. And this is somebody who's probably been through some sommelier training classes because they they, they do have these sort of deconstruct lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what he says at the end, he says that his his at the end of it, he says my descriptions will go like this: appearance, if relevant. Then he has a slash. Then. Aroma, then slash, then taste, then acidity, and finish. So his reviews are this. This is a wine. Gold, W-H-P-E-P-P, which That's is white pepper. white white pepper, right? Right. Comma, G-R-P-A-P-A-Y-A, which I'm thinking is... Green papaya. Green papaya. Okay. Slash tang, comma, ash, slash hylong. One word, H-I-L-O-N-G. Okay, so I'm thinking the tang is probably tangerine, but it could be tangy. Yeah, so, so it's, yeah, it's, it's gold. White pepper, grape papaya, tang, ash, high long, which means high acidity, long finish. What does that tell you about the wine? I thought hilong was a Mexican fruit that grew on the hilonga tree. It could be. I mean, if you sit and really pay attention, you can pick. Another one is, I'll say the words out whole. He he abbreviates chocolate, yellow, slash, lemon zest, yellow peach, slash, grapefruit, starfruit, slash, high High king. I don't even know how high king is. Well, I think that means that you are supposed to drink this wine while you are a high king. Yeah, there you go. But it's what a what a hor- this this tells you nothing about the wine. Well, All it is is the color, a couple of flavors that might be in it, and right. whether there's got a finish. But whether it's good or not, or whether it's yeah. And so, and you know, and this is a list of of of. Uh, a handful. Of, uh, I I have one that's a red. I'm not going to read, but a handful of wines that are the same. The same wine. The same. Like they're all Albarinos. Uh huh. Uh huh. So no phrase ever repeats itself. So no flavor ever repeats itself. And yet all of the wines are the same. So grape, what he's same doing reason. is he's trying to distinguish these things that that the first off if anybody gets those that's another thing anyway but he's, right. you have no idea what these wines are like you have nothing it, there's no description here he might as well have done nothing so and here's, just as here's one suggestion that we always have and this was taught to be my, my second grade English teacher which is that in order to be a good writer you almost always have to have a noun a verb a subject and an object wow that's really that's controversial there <laughs> Gold, white pepper, green papaya, tangerine, ash, hilong. Yeah, and it's, it's this idea that now I'm just going to, everything I drink, I'm going to describe and review and, you know. And, and, and but it's, it sounds like he's limited to a certain number of characters. No, no, it's, yeah, it does sound like it, right. It sounds like it's, they're tweeting them, but they are That's not. Right. And and yeah. it is um, it is just, it's unfortunate that people think that this is this is at any way helpful, helpful to any Helpful. human being. Well, if you wanted a wine that had ash hilong, you would know where to look now. You know, it's funny that you say that because I was <laughs> looking for starved hiking, which was actually one of the... Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. This is my frustration show. <laughs> uh, that's... Uh, that is... Yeah, okay. We are... We're going to move on here. Uh, you're listening to Bob Talk with Rick and Paul. When we come back, we're going to have a history lesson. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. (laughs) 
Way to go, guys. New excellent, s- excellent. New signal one more time. It is time for our historic history moment of the week. Paul, what do you got? Well, we've been talking about restaurants and how to behave in restaurants and how to order wine in a restaurant. And one of my favorite stories in the history of wine is the five investment brokers in the U.K., that's Great Britain, who went out to lunch, uh, dinner actually, and ordered 44,000 pounds of wine. That's not, wait, that's British pounds. That's British pounds. That's about 75,000, depending on what the conversion rate at the time, between seventy-five dollars and $100,000 worth of wine at a single dinner. Nice. That was the big name wines I bet they went for. Yes, it was. <laughs> they got the very big name wines, they got the very best vintages, and they got fired. Yeah, well. Because the banks that employed them pointed out that the people who had entrusted their money to the bank wanted to believe that the guys who were making the deals probably had a little more common sense than these knuckleheads did. Probably not. See, if they had gone to a place with an obscure wine list, they wouldn't have been able to do that. That's right. They would have ordered bottles of wines that nobody had ever heard of, and nobody would have said a thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, mine mine is actually about the very first restaurant, although there is a little bit of, uh, of myth involved. The um, mm-hmm. According according to uh, most accounts, the, the first real restaurant, and this is people were eating in pubs where they sat at tables and well, you know, remember had dishes. What, what happened was you could eat in an inn, but it was a hotel. I mean, basically, you arrived, and they had a, a menu dish. of the day, yeah. and whatever they were cooking, that's, that's what, what you, you got. got. And those were, those were the pubs and the inns on the roads right. and all those sorts of things uh, for, for centuries, really. Right. So the first restaurant is uh, is alleged to be, and I say alleged, although there are many people who say this, is a, a Monsieur Boulanger. Uh-huh. Uh, who's a Frenchman in Paris, 1765. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a handful of accounts of, of where the word restaurant came. Some say that um, it was he had a sign here that basically said uh, uh, Boulanger provides divine sustenance, and the word sustenance in French is restaurant. Restaurants. Or, well, uh, uh, another is yeah. that he served re- restaurants, which was right. the more common story. In fact, that the, his soups would restore you to health. Yes. And they were offered as much as a medicine as they were for food, but they became quite popular. And, of course, he got sued. He got sued. And he got sued for a couple of reasons because, one, he was daring to sell food that was prepared then cooked on the premises, which was unusual. Then you would there you basically went to shops. If it wasn't the inn, you went to shops to get the prepared and take them guild home. sued him for practicing chefison without a license. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and uh, but also because you had you had a, a menu to order from. Yes, um, and that that is actually what led to things like table service and wine service and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so so and by all accounts, this was the first restaurant. However. Um, a few years ago, a researcher at the University College in London, um, she was doing a, a extensive, real historic uh, background on this, mm. and she says um, he never appears in any source she examined. She says there's not a shred Don't of you evidence. I hate for researchers it. like this. I do. Perfectly good story. And Perfectly good story. She's and she's got to mess it up. Yeah. Well. Speaking of lack of evidence. <laughs> About time for us to offer some expertise. <laughs> exactly right. I just wanted to go back to actually we were talking just a tiny bit about restaurant pricing and, and what it is. And I just want to sort of make that point one more time before we moved on. 
that, um, you know, as we sort of make fun of uh, whether it's the expensive wine list or the corkage fees or whatever, or, you know, the idea that you shouldn't you know, run down the store and buy um, you know, that $7 bottle. The truth of it is that, you know, rent, there's, there's, it's difficult to find a business in America that's, that's more dicey than the restaurant industry. Right. Something like 30% of all restaurants go out of business right. in the first six and, months. And they're often undercapitalized, often put together by people with great passion for what they do. Yes. And so the prices, there's a reason for these things. And the reason for the wine pricing at restaurants is really in part because that uh, we did a show a couple weeks ago about prohibition, mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. one of the reasons is the wine's coming to them at a higher. It, it's costing them more than it is costing many other places mm-hmm, for starters. Mm-hmm. Plus, as you point out, they have storage, they have glasses, they they have to keep. And, and this is probably part of it too. Is they have to keep a huge stock on hand. Yes. So th- yep. with no absolute guarantee of turnover, it's not like they know how much beef they're going to cook. They have to right. have a lot. Of, it's a it's a huge capital cost and. Yep. Um, and so, tough business. Yeah, so it is tough business. So I just want to, you know, props to the restaurants for doing that. Uh, we have uh, a couple more questions. When we come back, you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. To go back to our mailbag, and by the way, if you'd like to ask us a question, rickandpaulwine.com, that's the place, all one word. And you can find us on iTunes and subscribe for free. Just do it with a click. We'd love to have you as a subscriber. All right, here's a good question. This is from, not that our other questions weren't good. Actually, most of the questions are good. It's the answers that have been really, that's kind of what it is. (laughs) Our problem is that. Um, Our question comes from Nathan in Sausalito, and he says, how come almost no wine list actually describes the wine? A bunch of names or stuff like Cuvée or something or Crew or something. <laughs> it means nothing to me. But not one word about what it might taste like. Wow, what a great question because, of course, restaurants these days will tell you exactly which acre of the local farm grew the baby lettuce that was chopped into tiny little bits and sprinkled over their salad. But then when it comes to wine, they'll simply say, same thing like, here's the wine. There, there used to be a real demand for this in restaurants. Restaurants would ask every winery, please give us three to five words that describe your wine that we can use them. In fact, I, I've done this exercise for wineries where they literally requested a three-word, a five-word, and a ten-word description of every wine in their portfolio so that the restaurants could just drop those in and use them. Why don't they do it now? I'm not sure. I I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I don't think diners find the words helpful. And this gets back to— That could be part of it, That gets back to what you and I talk about all the time, which is bad wine writing. If you say, you know, what was it, green papaya tang high long, is that going to tell anybody anything at all? That is a big part of the problem, right. Um, Right. And so it's really a question of finding the— the words to describe this to people that will actually make use of it. And some restaurants will, you know, will have like, you know, robust reds, light, lighter red. I mean, they'll sort of put a, a category, which is something, but you're right. And, and the, so the issue is as much um, willing as execution as willingness. And I agree with you completely. Well, but, but then there's another element to this for Nathan, which is these days, and I see this in all of my students, for example, both at the Culinary Stu- uh, Center and at the, at the Napa Valley College, if they don't know something and they don't see the answer on the list, the first thing they do is they go to their phones and they look it up. 
and they're thinking about ordering that bottle of wine, and they will either they can even sometimes they can even take a photo and right, use, sure. there, there are the apps app that will allow them to do that. Them. Or they'll simply look it up on the on the phone and say, "Huh, looks like this one has." They say it has green apples and is kind of fresh and lively, and this one is rich and heavy and toasty. And which one of those sounds better to you for dinner tonight? Yeah. Well, you know what? That brings up a next question, um, which we only have a minute or two to answer, is okay. uh, from Eileen Pham in Roseville. She says, basically, why are there so few food and wine pairings on the restaurant list? And I need to point out that that Cornell study that I was talking about, yes. another of the top four things that uh, that increase wine sales. suggest a wine right. to go with the dish. And I think the answer to that is, in certainly the higher-end restaurants, is they just think it's uncool. Yeah. Yeah, they think that they're they they're afraid that if they have to explain it to their diners, it implies that their diners don't know enough to order the white right wines anyway. But I agree. I mean, I'm always interested in particularly with some of the unusual flavor combinations we're seeing this fusion food where we get Szechuan peppers and other stuff all added into this dish. If the sommelier's tasted this dish 10 times and he's got an idea of what goes with it, I'd at least like to know what it is. Even if I'm not going to agree with him, I'd at least like to know what he is. Yeah, and you know, it also helps you in their, their thinking, you know, for somebody like us, even if we're sort of doing our own math on the pairing, you know, right. but even if you're not, they're thinking on what pairs with this. It tells you a lot about the wine and about the um, about uh, you know the food itself. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, really. I wish there were more of it, and I know it just feels like it feels like it's not an elegant thing, but it should be an. Elegant well, you thing. know, my wife is one of these. Again, my wife's a chef, and I'm I. One of the things she will frequently ask about a dish is it's in a sauce. But is that a cream sauce? Right. Is it a broth? Is it in a tomato sauce? Is it a clear sauce? Because those will affect a lot of the way the things are. are and that's where a restaurant can say, I've had it. I like it. I like this wine with it. Let's go with that. Yep. Yep. I agree. Uh, we want more of that. Thanks for that question. And that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, our engineers, Matt Bassini. Thanks, Matt. Thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. And if you'd like to ask us a question, remember, rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. If you learned anything today, we hope it's that eating and drinking in restaurants is supposed to be fun and relaxing, even if you're at our table. Yeah, that's why we never get invited anywhere. That explains so much. I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or us. Especially us.